Squeaky's going to help. Yes, he is. Squeaky's going to help. Squeaky's going to help. Ah, today, <laughs> Squeaky's going to help. Sorry, I, these are the things that pop into my head. Uh, time to preach. All right, Johnson, let's go. Today we're in Mark chapter 2 verses 12 through 17. We're continuing to look at uh, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and the work of Jesus. And uh, today we're, we're reading from Mark chapter 2, and one of the key characters is a fellow named Levi. Now, Levi, here in Mark, there's some argument over this when people get super duper technical. But there is uh, the traditional understanding is that this Levi, his name was kind of changed to Matthew um, when he began to follow after Jesus, and that this Levi, who was a tax collector, actually became Matthew the disciple. And Matthew the disciple is the one who wrote the book of Matthew, which is one of our gospels. And so just something for you to keep in mind. We sang this morning about songs that, that um, you know, we've got a river of life, we're changed. Um, the, our God is, is greater and our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. And, and all of the ramifications of that for our life. I want you to see this story of life change here. Think about this Levi and think about the idea that his name was Matthew and that in fact, later on, he wrote this gospel as inspired by God. You talk about a life changing. So here we are, Mark chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. I'm sorry, starting in verse 13. So Mark chapter 2, 13 to 17. It says, uh, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so... Levi, who became Matthew, and Matthew, who became the disciple, and the disciple, who later became a writer. Matthew told the same story in his gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 9. But Matthew never includes the name Levi. So again, scholars argue. But Matthew essentially tells the story about himself. And here's the story. There's a fellow named Levi. He's a tax collector. Matthew and Mark both wrote this story down. And Jesus, early in his ministry, was walking along. Jesus, at this point, had already called four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so Jesus and these couple of disciples are, are walking around. It says, as he walked, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Boy, can lives change or what? A guy goes from being a social outcast in a tax collector's booth to writing a gospel about Jesus, which 2,000 years later is still being read. Wow. I think Squeaky's been squeaking. Did you hear, uh, some, some of you whose hearing is a bit impaired may not have heard all of those kids cheering. We'll assume they're cheering for Jesus, right? Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. Hey, is there anybody... Anybody you knew in high school that's different now than they were then? Especially you old heads in here. Is there anybody that you've run into that maybe you remember them when they were 15 or 16 or 17? You remember the things they got into, the stories that they told? 
and they're different now. Any of you run into that? I run into that from time to time, and it just fascinates me. Because I went to Solanco, which is kind of the next school district to the west from Oxford. And so I'm kind of out of the community that I grew up in, but yet I'm close enough that I still occasionally run into people. And not too long ago, I ran into a fellow that I hadn't seen for 20 years. And the things that I would have remembered about him, and maybe vice versa, the things that I would have remembered about him were not flattering. He, just, he didn't make a lot of good decisions in high school because most of us just don't. But I met this man like, boy, this is a totally different guy. And it was exciting. That was kind of neat. Any of you have those stories? People that you knew when they were younger and now they're different? Are any of you different now than you were when you were in high school? Any of you high schoolers? Maybe now you're in 10th or 11th grade. Are you different than you were when you were in 6th grade or 7th grade? Lives change, don't they? Things happen. Sometimes that's just growing up. But sometimes God gets a hold of a person and really changes things. That's what this story is about here in Mark chapter 2, this, this story about Levi. But I'm getting ahead of myself because at this point in the story, Levi is still just a sellout to the ruling powers, a tax collector. A tax collector in Jesus' land was just someone who was really a tool or some might even say a puppet for the ruling authorities because these Jews were not allowed to rule their own land. Politically, they were under the power of all kinds of other influences, but especially under the Roman Empire. And there was a whole layer of hierarchy and governors and people that needed to be taken care of. And, and so Matthew, Levi, who was a Jew, is collecting money from his people to give it to the occupying forces. And so Matthew and Levi was seen as a sellout to the ruling powers. And being a tax collector, and he was in the land of the Jews where many Israelite, where many Jewish people lived, but it was not only Jews who lived there. There were also Gentiles, that is people who are not Jewish. And he had to collect taxes from them too. And so Levi was regularly in contact with Gentiles and doing business with him. And according to the Jewish legalists, that made him unclean, constantly unclean, because he was working with those dirty, defiled, non-Jewish folks. That's the picture of Levi, who was sitting in his tax collector's booth. He's an outcast from his own people. He's not accepted by the ruling authorities because they don't care about the Jews. He's just doing a job. But it says that Jesus invited him nonetheless, said, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus, this is, this is an abrupt transition, verse 14, Jesus says, follow me. Pretty soon, Jesus is having dinner at the guy's house. Levi, apparently, so excited to be called. Levi, so excited to be a follower, now invites Jesus and, and has a party. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. This isn't a church fellowship supper. This is Levi getting excited about this Jesus thing. And he tells all of his buddies, most of whom are, are kind of, according to the rest of Jewish society, are kind of scum. Levi invites them to his house. Brand new person, just can't hardly stand it. Come and hear about Jesus. Jesus, would you come to my house? And it says that Jesus' disciples, there were at least four of them, as, as I said, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These guys were there too, but even they were not recognized as upper crust kind of people. They were just common fishermen. And so here's Jesus having supper with these folks. There were many who followed him. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law 
who were Pharisees. The Pharisees were the Jewish class of, of men who, who studied the scriptures. They knew all the rules. They, they took great pride in following the rules well. They, they were not necessarily men of faith, but they were certainly men of religion. It says in verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's an interesting thing. Here's Jesus and his disciples eating with the tax collectors and sinners, and yet the Pharisees, these ruling people who wanted to say so clear, still saw it. They were still there close enough to ask. There's a lot of watching going on, isn't there? Sinners and tax collectors often said in one breath, and the Pharisees say, why is Jesus spending his time with them? Well, we don't know how the disciples might have answered There's no recollection of that. What Matthew and what Mark write down is Jesus' response. It says in verse 17, on hearing this, so apparently they said it loudly enough for even Jesus, who's at a big dinner party, to hear it. Some of us just can't whisper. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I would have been tempted. It's always, always dangerous to put ourselves in the place of Jesus. But I'm going to imagine for a moment. Maybe you can imagine with me. I would have been tempted if I were Jesus to be a bit more aggressive than that. I mean, here's Levi. Here's one who was just an outcast from society. Here's one who, his life is in a mess. Jesus says, follow me. And Levi comes and follows him. And Levi now is so excited, so thrilled that he throws this dinner party and invites all of his tax collectors and all of his sinner friends. And they're all having dinner with Jesus. And if I was Jesus, what I would have been tempted to say to that stuffed shirt Pharisee was, can't you see the life change here? Come on, these are great people. They've made some mistakes. Yes, they're sinners, but they're turning to me. Jesus could have defended them. These are fine folks. Jesus could have ripped them down and said, you Pharisee, you have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus could have gotten really defensive and said, how dare you call them sinners, you stuffed shirt. Let me tell you how you've been sinning with the attitudes of your heart. Don't you know that we all like sheep have gone astray? Jesus could have said that to these Pharisees, but he didn't. He he didn't defend Levi. He didn't say, oh, Levi's really okay. He didn't defend all the tax collectors and all the sinners and say, well, they're in a tough spot. You know, they've just made some mistakes. No, he didn't do that. Jesus knew that these were tax collectors. He knew that they were sinners and he knew that they were broken and messed up. He knows that they're in need. What did he say? I'm not here for the healthy. I'm here for the sick. It's almost like he pointed to them all. If, if If we had a visitor from our community walk in our back doors right now, and said, Pastor, what are you doing preaching to all these sinners? It'd almost be, be like me saying, well, I'm preaching to all these sinners because they need to hear about Jesus. And how would you feel? Right? But I mean, that's the honesty of Jesus. He says, look, you Pharisee. He says, I'm here for the lost. I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the broken. What do you mean? What am I doing? This is my mission. Jesus knew who they were, and Levi knew it too. I wonder if Levi was tempted to stand up and defend the honor of his party. I mean, he doesn't want all of his dinner guests being besmirched quite like that, does he? To use a modern word. (laughs) No, Jesus says, yeah, I'm here, and they're here with me. 
Can you see the transformation that's happening? Not just the transformation of Levi, who is now so, so thrilled about Jesus that he invites Jesus into his whole life. I mean, come into my house, come and meet my friends, meet my social circle, meet all these folks who are not the pinnacle of society. Not only is Levi changed, but here Jesus is, is even confronting the religious structure saying, guys, you don't even get it. Guys, I'm here for the sick. I'm not just here to call out all the good folks and hang out with them all the time. Remember, Jesus has been calling his disciples to him. I wonder what those disciples felt like. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're sitting there. They've just been following Jesus maybe a couple days, couple weeks. They see Levi change. Levi joins the band. And now they're being lumped in as the sinners and tax collectors too? That's interesting to me. If, if, I, had, if I had a new group of followers, I think I'd be more concerned about their purity, quite honestly. I'm not sure if the first thing I'd want to do is put them around these <clears throat> sick folks. There'd be a tendency to keep things really clean, wouldn't it? Keep things all in bounds. Keep things free from any kind of controversy. But what are Jesus and his new disciples doing? He's not afraid of their witness being tarnished. He's not afraid of his reputation being corrupted. Levi's life has changed. And he threw a party for all his rowdy friends to come over tonight. And who was in the middle of it? Jesus was. Now, come down a little bunny trail with me for a minute. We'll circle back around. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. As Reuben said, there's a ball game on today. This is the 56th such big ball game, although it's really taken a life of its own in the last, what, 20 years? I have seen statistics that $7.6 billion will be wagered by Americans on the Super Bowl. That's, that's, just, that's a very common, I don't know if it's accurate, it's a projection, but 7.6 billion, that's seven, six, and then eight more zeros. 7.6 billion is expected to be gambled today. A lot of people hoping to make some easy money. That almost matches, it's within about 10% of the 7.9 billion that President Biden would like to spend in foreign aid. Funds to support democracy, human rights, education, and economic development. It's almost as much as that. On the other hand, $7.6 billion is almost 10 times more than the $794 million that will be invested by Christians in reaching the unreached, unreached people groups of the world this year. So just a quick recap. $7.6 billion will be wagered on the Super Bowl, and $794 million will be spent this year to reach those who don't know Jesus yet. Our world's getting better, isn't it? Our technology is drawing closer to good, isn't it? Did you know that with $7.6 billion, that, that's the money that's just going to be put on the Super Bowl today. That's, I don't know how much of that is disposable income. I don't know how much of that people can really afford to lose, but a lot of them are going to lose. Did you know that with $7.6 billion, you can support 127,000 missionaries for a year? Statistics say it costs on average about $60,000 to send a missionary, train them, and get them out in the field and get them set up for a year. 60 grand. With 7.6 billion, you can send out 127,000 of them. But 
you know, it's pretty fun to make it interesting. Let's come back to this dinner in Mark 2. Really strict religious people, the Pharisees, criticized Jesus for mixing with sinners, even eating with them. Lots of ceremony and etiquette required in Jewish dinners. Jesus says, of course, you're right. I am eating with them because they need me. I hope you're not wagering any money on that Super Bowl tonight. I, I hope none of your cash is going towards that 7.6 million, or I'm sorry, 7.6 <clears throat> billion figure. And if you're tempted to put some money down, let me tell you, I've got a sure thing for you. Put your money in that wooden box in the back today, and that'll do something really good. But how many of you are going to watch the game tonight? I am. I'm interested. I mean, it's Cincinnati. Ugh. It's L.A. Ugh. There's no Tom Brady. There's no Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I'm going to be watching. And in fact, we're having some people over to our house to watch it because it's fun. We get to eat some food, visit with friends, watch a little bit of football on TV if the conversation slows down. How many of you, let me ask one more time. How many of you are going to watch the game tonight? Probably. How many of you are either going to, I'll just say a party, other people might not think that your party's a party, but how many people are going to a party or hosting a party? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a fair amount of us. Yeah. Who's going to be at your Super Bowl party tonight? I mean, the Super Bowl is not a strictly religious thing. Shouldn't be. The Super Bowl is not a churchy thing. It's kind of one of those things that kind of any American can stop in on and sort of half know what's going on. Who is going to your Super Bowl party tonight? I wonder if it looks anything like the sinner dinner that Jesus was in. And if you think you know where I'm going with this, you might be wrong. Because here's what I'm thinking about, and here's what I want to challenge you with for the next little bit until my time is up. I want to challenge you with this thought. Christian fellowship is super important. But I wonder if we eat enough dinners with sinners. I'm going to say it again. Christian fellowship is super important. I'm not ever going to minimize that, okay? But I wonder, do you and I eat enough dinners with sinners? Here at our church, we really push small groups. What's a small group? Well, this is not a small group. This right now is a large group. It's hard to connect with everybody in here. It's hard to keep up with all the folks in here. And so we have groups that meet during the week in people's homes, six, eight, 10, 12, 15 people, and Bible study together, and, and pray together, and eat together, and laugh, and cry together. We have these small groups, and, and, and those are, generally speaking, if you could call them such things, they are Christian groups. We get together for Christian fellowship. It's good, and I hope you're part of one. If you're not part of a small group yet, talk to Pastor Steve and Squeaky today before you go, and he'll get you connected with a small group. Important stuff. This afternoon, we've got youth Bible quizzing happening here. You heard Reuben talk about it. And we've got youth groups and junior high groups and kids programs and Waterway 2-5 and, and Children's Church. And so much of this is to get kids learning about Jesus and celebrating and worshiping God together because there's power in that fellowship, right? And yet, what do we see with Jesus? The one whom we're trying to become. What do we see with Jesus? The one who is our example. 
Jesus had a fellowship of, of people around him with whom he was very close. He prayed with them, worshiped with them, ate with them. But there were also times when Jesus, with his religious buddies, when Jesus mixed up with the sinners because he realized that he needed to get out more than some people got out. A couple, uh, couple Bible passages that you've heard before, but you might have forgotten. In Matthew chapter 5, this is written down by that guy, Matthew, whose name was once Levi, who was a tax collector, eh, just in case that's interesting to you. But Matthew chapter 5 says that Jesus spoke to the believers, and he told them that they, he didn't say he was in this instance, he said to the believers, he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Hide it under a bushel. No! Little Bible school story for you. No, people put a light on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus spoke to Peter, one of these disciples who was reclining around the table when the Pharisee said, why are you eating with all these sinners and tax collectors? Matthew 16, we're told that Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, Peter, your name is Peter. That means rock and I will build my church on you and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He says to Peter in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, he said, Peter, you and those who follow you, you are going to be a powerful witness to me. And I talked about it last week, right? We talked about how the church is advancing, should be advancing in our world. And even the gates, which stand still, gates should not be able to shut down our mission because we are indeed on a mission from God. Jesus says to the church, you are the light of the world. He says to Peter, the church is going to advance so much that even the gates of hell cannot overcome it. The apostle Paul years later wrote down and we record it, we know it as Ephesians chapter six. He says to the Christians that are within his hearing, the Christians in the city of Ephesus, he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Jesus said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 19, pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Jesus told us that we are the light of the world. Jesus told Peter that he would build his church. Hell can't stand against it. Paul reminds believers that there's a battle that we fight constantly, not against flesh and blood, but against those spiritual forces that might try to stand up against the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul calls believers to be alert. Paul calls believers to suit up and take their stand. Paul asks for prayers that he can declare the gospel fearlessly. I've been hearing a lot of talk lately about people living fearlessly. You have too. I see people in our neighborhoods who are bold with their flags. The flags in their yards, on their houses, and on their trucks and cars. I see people who are bold with their bumper stickers. They're not afraid. Bold with their t-shirts and hats and politics and newfound medical expertise. No fear, they say. No fear. Some of you are tempted to be so bold with your politics in ways you never were before. 
And here in Mark, I see Jesus sitting with the sinners and tax collectors, boldly sharing the truth of who he was with no fear. Is that the kind of no fear that you're talking about? It better be. It had better be. What are you doing with your faith? We can look at this and we can see Jesus sitting here with the disciples and we can rail against the Pharisees and we can say, of course, Jesus came for those like Levi, those like Matthew, those like me who needed their lives to be changed. Of course, he came for those who are sick. Of course, he came to set them free. But what does your world look like? Who are you and who is in your life right now? By the way, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. I hear what I am saying and I need to live it better too. But what do, your, what do your suppers look like? Are you having any dinners with sinners? And you might laugh and say, well, you ought to see my husband. Okay. Hey, that's ministry too. I know. I know. But we're blessed. We've got a lot of put together families in this place. We've got a lot of husbands and wives and families who are working well for the gospel in this place. What do your fellowship times look like? Are you ever sharing your Christian witness and being a light of the world and advancing the kingdom in a place where the religious folks might raise an eyebrow? Is that ever you? Now, now, now oh, let's be very clear. I'm not saying that you act like a sinner or talk like a sinner or behave like a sinner. Jesus wasn't doing any of that. Jesus was eating with these tax collectors and sinners being Jesus. The disciples were there following Jesus. And yet they were there without fear, saying, we're bringing the gospel even to this place. Why? Because I'm not going to put a bushel over my light. I've been given the armor of God so that I can stand up even when, even when <clears throat> filthy people are around me. I'm not going to be corrupted. I'm going to continue to walk forward. Does this mean that the alcoholic goes and sits in the bar? No. Not everyone is called to every place. Does this mean that you just carelessly send your children out into every situation? No, no, love always protects. But for those of us in this room who are following after the Lord, for those of us in this room who are confident in our faith, for those of you in this room who have been learning about Jesus for 50 years, who are you telling about it? And maybe... Maybe right now you can say, Jesse, I'm telling all kinds of people about it. Good, good, keep it up. But I suspect that there are those of us in this room who need a little bit of a kick in the backside because all of our time is spent in the comfort of our friends. And I mean the friends who think like us, who talk like us, who vote like us. I see so many of us in this room living on the gospel and thankful for salvation, but playing it safe. There are so many of you in this room who have so much light. Do people get to see it? There are some of us who never take our light outside of our homes or outside of this building, and I just ask you to think about whether that's you. This story here in Mark just makes me very excited about Jesus and very uncomfortable with me. Because it is so much nicer to just hang out with most of you than it is with the tax collectors and sinners. 
easier. I know how to act. We have the same values. We eat and drink the same stuff. We kind of know how each other thinks. And we know that we will have a gracious friend if we make a mistake. We risk a lot by being out in our dark world. But that's what the armor's for. That's what Jesus is for. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. To fill us up. So that even when the day of evil comes, we can stand. And even when the gates of hell try to shut us out, we can advance. This is what Jesus is for. To help us be the light of the world. I mean, how often are you with people who are not church people? You have a perfect opportunity tonight. And there's still time. There's a game on TV. And it's become so that everyone takes notice. There's a halftime show with Eminem and Snoop and Dr. Dre, and none of your friends want to see it. But they might come for the game. So when the second quarter ends and halftime begins, just turn the TV off. And then you get to see whether you really are living in faith and not fear. Then you can really not put other people to the test, but you can put yourself to the test. Does your faith shine? Are you willing to talk about Jesus then? Are you willing to put yourself on the line for what you believe? All oh, these are the slogans we hear all the time, right? But are, are you willing to put yourself on the line with what you believe? And now that these people are in your living room watching your TV and eating your snacks, are you willing to tell them about your faith? Oh, that would be something. And that kind of proclamation can make a big difference. So at halftime tonight, turn off your TV and just take a minute, a minute, to tell people one exciting thing that God has done in your life. And if the TV's not on, find another minute to do it. And if you don't want to have anything to do with the Super Bowl tonight, will you just pick a friend? Somebody that you might be tempted to call one of those sinners, or maybe that your family has called one of those sinners, and, and invite them to your house, and don't sin with them. But you can eat with them. You can talk with them. You can share your faith with them. Do you need to invite some different folks to your party tonight? There is still time. There's still time. Be bold. And by the way, if you already have plans with me, and you've decided that you need to have your plans with somebody else, you go. You go and you tell them about Jesus. And that'll be just fine. Because I'm trying to fill your seat this afternoon too. Will you pray with me? God, you love us and you challenge us, and I am feeling challenged. Lord, I feel loved too. Church, if you feel loved, say amen. But God, your word challenges me. Lord, I don't want to be a sinner. I don't want to act like a sinner, and I don't want to be mistaken for a sinner. But Lord, you've put a light in me, and you've put a light in so many people in this room. And Lord, I acknowledge that I need help in learning how to let that light shine even more brightly. And I think a lot of us in this room need that help too. Church, if you need that help, would you just say amen?
God, I pray that you'll help us to make the most of every opportunity. Lord, we're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be teachers or preachers. We're not all called to be talkers. But Lord, you've given all of us a story. And I pray that you would help us to strip away our fear and just tell our story more often with more people. Lord, help us to tell people why we believe in you. And help us not to be afraid. Thank you for the example of Jesus and those disciples. Thank you for the reminder that like Levi, lives can be changed. But Lord, help me with the challenge of sharing my faith even with those who are sick. Lord, help me. Lord, help us. Lord, we are yours. Help us to to live that all the time. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us. Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak to us. If we need to change any of our plans for the rest of the day, help us to change them. But Lord, if we're on the right track, just confirm that too. Lord, show us how to live. I trust that you will give us our daily guidance. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen. Congregation, uh, would you?